future is Mecca. In the previous episode, the final red flag appeared, and with only a couple of minutes left on the clock, I was heading into round four. It's time we started taking better care of this place. And ourselves. It was still made up like she was coming back. That was the worst part of visiting her room. We locked her hands under the bottom edge of the cockpit and it ripped it right off. I locked in my mecha right as the countdown hit zero and I was feeling like I might have just gone crazy. For my mecha, I slotted in the 15 meter hardback Ranger. It was a beast. The real one was designed for the heaviest and most dangerous asteroid and lunar mining jobs. The active alloy panels were thick and the joints were protected by heavy woven graphene sleeves. It was the same mecha everyone else selected. You don't make it this far by not knowing your mechas. All four of us were global tier and expecting a serious battle. What else would you choose? Still, something about it didn't sit right. I always feel like if you're doing the same thing everyone else is doing, you're going to end up with the same result. With seconds left before launch, I found myself back in the mecha selector, flicking through the options faster and faster. Looking, looking. The counter flipped from three seconds to two seconds. I brought up the keyboard. I hit L. I hit I. There it was. I locked in my mecha right as the countdown hit zero, and I was feeling like I might have just gone crazy. The lobby was replaced by the narrow virtual cockpit of a six-meter lithe mech, the same model my sister had danced in, the same model the sim rig had been tuned for, the same model I had learned to pilot with. The field appeared, and right away it was obvious Coda was right. We were facing each other from the four corners of a tower pad. The pad was bordered by infinitely tall grey walls showing the faint grid pattern of a sim boundary. We were walled into this small space. Except it wasn't really a wall. You could collide with it, but you wouldn't bounce. You wouldn't stick. You couldn't punch a handhold into it. You couldn't jump off from it. You would just slide down to the ground. There was a beam on the ground in front of each mecha. We all grabbed for them. After the ponderous construction mechas, whose long limbs always seemed to be moving in slow motion, the lithe mech made me feel like I was four-limbed lightning. The feedback from the prosthetics made the heft of the beam obvious. In the construction mechas, it was like picking up a twig. I was going to have to compensate for its weight. Glurksucks8819 had spoken the truth. The three of them were walking straight towards me, and I had nowhere to run to. At least they couldn't surround me. If I backed closer to the corner, well, they're going to have to take turns attacking me. They were all carrying their beams in the right hand of their mechas. Once they got close, only the mecha on my left would have a clean strike. I moved back. Gravity was normal, and I wished it was ratcheted down again. As they moved closer, group comms cut in and I heard laughter. Who brings a dance mecha to a heavyweight slugfest? said a girl's voice. By the Scandi accent, it had to be Aurora Bora. Would you both just shut it and do your jobs, said another girl. I bet it was Battle Pig 32. As it got closer, the mecha on the left tossed its beam from the right hand to the left hand and gave it a swing. Okay, now two of them can have a swing at me. I could handle it. The center mecha stopped and the other two kept coming towards me. I moved into a defensive stance, waiting to see who would swing first. It was the mecha on my left. I swiveled and deflected their beam, then turned, ready to do the same to my right, but I was too slow. 
The full force of an active alloy beam swung by a 15-meter hardvac ranger caught me in the side. It sent me flying across the pad like a discarded doll. I skidded along the ground until I hit the virtual wall. I was so lucky. If that blow had hit my cockpit, or an arm, or a hand, anywhere except the body, I would already be red flagged. I couldn't risk another hit, so my defensive plan, keep blocking and wait for the inevitable mistake, had to be abandoned. I had to go on the attack. They were stomping towards me. I threw my beam away and flipped onto my feet, skipping beyond their reach. Between its strength and speed, piloting the lithe mech made it feel like, short of flying, gravity was something you could ignore. Every second, every step I took, the old muscle memory kicked back in stronger and stronger. It was like I was playing rather than fighting. I led them on a short chase until I was in the middle of the pad. They spread out again, pursuing their three-pronged attack. I danced around them so I was only facing the rightmost one. I stepped in and they swung at me. But I already danced back out of the way. From there I jumped and landed on their shoulder. There was no way I could pop a joint on these big rangers with my bare mecha hands, but I knew their weak points. The biggest one was the round peripheral canopy port on each side of the head. It was hardened monocrystalline glass designed for deep space. One thing that was harder than that glass was the jet shielding on the bottom of a mecha's foot. As the other player straightened up and reached for me with their other hand, I did a little hop and a fast spin and brought the heel of my foot down hard upon the port, shattering it. I had to jump as it collapsed, losing power as a red flag went up over it. One down, two to go. Remember the deal! Stick with the plan! shouted Battle Pig 32. That was the last thing she said during the match. The other mecha hit them straight in the cockpit, bending the beam with the blow and sending the ranger backwards onto the ground, red flagged. The plan's dead said a guy's voice. I guess it was Glurk Sucks 8819. I'd rather earn my points the honorable way, one-on-one. Mecha versus Mecha. He pulled the beam from the fallen Mecha's hand and advanced on me, swinging both of his weapons back and forth in front of him. I cartwheeled away. How could I have forgotten how much fun a live Mech is and how fast they are? As long as I kept moving and stayed out of corners, the other Mecha could never get close enough to touch me. But we had one knockout each, With no building possible, once the clock ran out, we would go into overtime and then just keep going until one of us was left standing. He realized the same thing and stopped chasing me. He stomped to the middle of the pad. You're going to have to face me. Might as well get it over with. You could quit and save yourself some time, I said. I don't quit. Me neither. I'd worked my way back to the beam I had dropped. I picked it up and held it near the end with both hands. Then I sprinted towards the waiting mecha, the end of the beam pointed straight at it. He raised his beams, ready to strike me or block any jab I might attempt. But I wasn't going to jab him, despite how it looked. Moving at full speed, I threw the beam into the air. By reflex, he raised his beams to block while I went down into a slide, passing right between his legs, right under him and behind him. I dug my feet in, stood, and backflipped, twisting in the air and landing on the edge where the mecha's torso joined its hips. From there I leapt again. Turning over in the air, I landed just behind the top of his head. Despite its strength, the falling weight of the lithe mech forced its head down towards its chest, opening a gap between the cockpit and the neck. I caught the falling beam I had tossed and jammed it into the gap. Glurk sucks 8819 thrashed his beams around his head and I had to jump to safety. Turning to face me, he couldn't lift his cockpit up. That beam was locked in tight. What have you done? he shouted. Stabbed you in the back, I'm afraid. 
I shuffled back and forth in front of him, in and out, tempting him to attack. He raised both arms and brought them both down, trying to hit me or catch me between them. Except he didn't. I jumped and landed on his left arm. I jumped again, getting some extra height as he tried to shake me off, sailed over his head, and landed with both feet, knees locked, on the very end of my beam. It acted like a lever, not quite popping the cockpit right off. It was a hardback ranger, after all, but unseating the connector between it and the body. The final red flag went up. I had won. Through five rounds against some of the world's best pilots, I had triumphed. Messages streamed in. That beam in the neck, chatted Feng. You're the luckiest cretin in the Sims. Five, four, eight. Sim Lord, wrote another. The avatar was orange and yellow and the player tag was awesome wind. I was totally sure that was Oswin. I sent grateful hands to as many as I could. From Azalea, I got a long line of flames. She followed it with a tomato, meaning see you tomorrow. Then I had to give an interview with one of the stream team's vloggers. It was part of the deal. They told me I was being called Crane Lord in the chats during the series, and that no one expected me to win when the format of the final match was revealed. When I appeared in a discontinued live mech while the other three had chosen Hardvac Rangers, the audience thought that I had lost my mind. What's your secret? How do you shift from an effective crane strategy to hand-to-hand combat? I don't know. I, I just make it up as I go along. Except for the live mech. When everyone locked in rangers, I felt I had to do something different. Different? It was completely opposite. It worked. And my sim rig was tuned for a live mech, so it felt right. Did I hear that right? Your sim rig is tuned for a live mech? How old is your rig? It's a Glurk Revision 15. Revision 15? Did you hear that, peeps? Praxit 2230 took the series simming from a Revision 15 rig. I know for a fact that your opponents in the final round were all in Revision 23s. Outdated hardware, discontinued mecha. Neefs, if Praxit 2230 ever gets a high-performance setup, he is going to be untouchable. And the rest of you? It's not the rig. It's not the mecha. It's the pilot that wins or loses. Thanks for your time, Praxit 2230. Dad was in the living area, standing in front of the windows and admiring his handiwork in the backyard. He'd showered off all the dirt and weed juice and was in a good mood. We both were. Let's go celebrate, he said when I told him I had won. A few minutes later, he was wheeling his bike out, and I was strapping on a spare safety collar. While he checked the batteries, I was glaring at the baby. It was such a lump compared to a live mech, and so ugly and clumsy compared to a hardvac ranger. The words of the interviewer played back in my ears. What could I do if I had a high-performance setup? I guess I would never know. Instead, I'd be stomping around in the world's lowest-performing mecha. Maybe I should give up and spend my points on upgrading the sim rig. Hop on! I got my left foot onto the foot peg and swung my other leg over the bike. Dad started rolling down the drive. Is this a uh, good speed, or should we go a bit faster? He knew what my answer was going to be. Faster! The bike jerked forward as he accelerated. I had to grab him to stop from falling off the back. We leaned together into the corner that took us onto the ring road, the electric motors driving the wheels whining underneath us. Should we slow it down? Faster! The buildings began to move by too fast to follow them with your eyes. The wind was catching my hair. How's this speed? Faster! The bike jerked forward. I felt like I was being pulled backwards by the force and had to squeeze Dad tight to hold on. 
The wind was so strong I pressed my cheek against his back to get out of the blast. Learning place 548. The whole place. The mecha stands, the wide red building, the autonomous zones, blipped past us. We flashed past mechas like they were standing still. Dad weaved us between autonomous shuttle buses without touching the brakes. The city slid away as Dad turned onto the road that ran through the greenbelt to the industrial ring. Trees gave way to high mesh fences protecting flat grey buildings that flickered as we raced past them. I couldn't read the signs attached to the fences, but I recognized some of the logos, including the red, squared-off G.I. of Coda's dad's company here and there. Then we're out of the city, and tall sink trees created a shadowed canyon out of the road, the walls a near-black blur of their closely-packed trunks. The road narrowed and began to follow the landscape, twisting and turning. Dad and I moved in unison, leaning into the curves. I had to fight the urge to reach out and touch the road surface as we sped around tight corners and remember to keep my knees in tight. We hit a long straight section, and somehow we started going even faster. I didn't have to look over Dad's shoulder to see the lights up ahead. Our celebration was taking place at the roadhouse. The cold intensity of a headlight illuminated the side of my face and Dad's back. Then another bike passed us like we were a sink tree on the side of the road. Dad laughed with delight at the outrageous speed of the thing. We pulled into the roadhouse parking area and found a spot among the dozens of bikes. There were really old ones, with frames from the mid-1900s with electric motors hidden under the antique engine metalwork. And there were brand new ones, like the bike that passed us. They were mirrored slivers of active alloy fitted with a seat and handlebars. Instead of antique batteries, they ran on a power cell. Their hubless wheels were high and wide with a surface that curled around the edge, letting them go around corners almost flat to the ground. Dad stopped to admire both types, old and new. Maybe that's why his bike was kind of in the middle. He couldn't choose between the two eras. With all his stopping and staring, it took us a while to get in there and get a table. If you don't ride a bike, or know someone who does, then you might not know the roadhouse even exists. It's not in Travnav, and it doesn't have a mecha stand. In fact, it has a big sign saying, Wheeled Vehicles Only. Inside, it's decorated with old bike parts. The seats are old motorcycle seats. They aren't super comfortable unless you get the really, really old ones that are wide and flat. The walls are covered with handlebars and instrument panels mounted to wooden shields. Dad says they're meant to look like hunting trophies from back in the day before moose and elk and deer were wiped out by the climate and the pandemics, and hunters would kill them and hang their antlers as a trophy. For lights, they used, of course, motorcycle headlamps. A huge cluster of them, like a chandelier, hung in the middle of the place. Individual ones hung over the tables, which were all made from huge slabs of sink tree. The dark wood and the small lights made the place feel cozy, even in the middle of the day. Right now, early in the evening, with the whole thing in the shadow of the trees as the sun went down, it was like a bustling homely cave. The food's pretty expensive there. We ordered a big platter of nachos and stubby colas. While we waited for the food to arrive, I showed Dad the highlights of the final round on my mini-tab. Is that a live mech? He said, grabbing it from my hand. Yeah. Ooh, that's a bad hit, he said when he saw me knocked across the pad by the ranger. Was it Aurora Bora who hit me? I couldn't even remember. He watched the rest in silence and handed my mini-tab back. He stuffed some chips and beans in his mouth and washed it down with stubby. You know, that lithe mech and those flips you did over the ranger, the way you moved, uh, it, it reminded me of your sister. He was blinking a lot and staring at his plate. He took a deep breath and blew it out slowly and loudly. Sorry, Dad, 
No, no. Don't be sorry. It's not a bad thing. It's just how it is. So, what are you doing with Coda and Azza tomorrow? Azalea, Dad. I told you, don't ever let her hear you call her Azza. I told him about what she did to Jabir when he shortened her name. Dad laughed and his good mood returned. The sun was down when we rode back. There was no illumination on the road. Just the beam of the bike's headlights shooting out in front of us, turning the road ahead white or sweeping across the trees as we came out of a tight corner. Ahead, up in the sky, scattered clouds were underlit by the city. You couldn't see the towers for the encroaching trees, but you could tell it was there and we were getting closer. One last corner and it appeared, a bright column against the night sky, sparkling with drones and mechas in flight, the tops of the highest towers catching and stretching out clouds drifting by on the wind. We arrived to a chaos of light and noise on the corner of our street, a cordon of tiny service drones with flashing red and blue lights, like a flying blinking fence, had blocked it off. The service mechas of a response squad were standing around, and people were running from them into our street shouting at each other. Above our street, looking like it was pretty level with our house, an ultra-heavy drone was hovering, contributing most of the noise. Cables were hanging down from it and they were under tension from a load. The Osorios were standing on the corner next to the drone fence. Drone crash, said Hernan. An ultra-heavy, said Merida. We heard it coming in, then we heard it struggling. The rotors were whining, said Hunan. Then boom, crash, pieces flying, said Merida. A piece of carbon fiber went right through our guest room window and stuck in the wall, said Hernan. From the corner, we could see the remains of the drone. Two 15-meter sturdy mechs moved it onto the cargo platform hanging from the other drone overhead. People were running around picking up smaller pieces by hand. Some had backpack vacs. Everything was dumped in the cargo platform. The sturdy mechs reeled in the ruined drone's cables and piled them on top of the mess like two giants playing with noodles. I can't remember the last time an ultra-heavy crashed, said Dad. What was it delivering? Nothing to anyone on this street, said Merida. Might have been a failed Travnav sensor. Send it off course, said Dad. The response squad worked fast. Once the ultra-heavy carried the wreckage away, the drone fence switched off and all the pieces swarmed onto the back of a service mecha as they all stomped off towards the transit pads. Dad and I rolled up to the house. Splinters of carbon fiber glittered on the road. All of our windows were intact. Across the street, the Osorios were already taping plastic over their broken window. Someone would have to pay for that. I'm glad it missed our house, I said. Me too. I think they're programmed not to crash into houses, or people. That's probably why it came down on the road. Before I crawled into bed, I had a look out my window. It used to be the city I'd stare at. It was mesmerizing. I'd think about the millions of people in the towers, going to mech cafes and clubs and streamies. Now I was always staring, well, more like glaring, at that stupid baby. It was becoming a bad habit. It couldn't be healthy because it didn't make me feel better. From my bedroom, I saw something I hadn't noticed from down on the ground. There were two white gouge marks in the oxylon at the edge of the mecha pad. Were they made by cargo hooks? Big pieces of the drone that broke off? Maybe our house was nearly hit by a big piece but the response crew grabbed it before we showed up. Maybe a piece hit the baby. If it did, it didn't hit it hard enough. I was waiting and waiting for Coda and Azalea to show up Saturday morning, sitting on the back deck, watching the top of Dad's head as it popped into view from deep in the garden. He kept telling me to come and help, and I kept telling him my friends were going to arrive any minute. 
I worked through a few levels of bucket of kittens, with the sound down so Dad wouldn't hear it, while I waited. At last, a message from Azalea. You forgot to add us to the geofence. We can't get into your street. That was stupid of me. I called out to Dad, asking him to add them, and he told me I could do it from his tablet and was in the kitchen. We yelled ludicrous buys and goodbyes at each other, and he did actually stand up to wave, and I flashed the good old L. The geofence app was on the first screen. I added Azalea and Coda. It was against the agreed policy of our little dead-end street community. But these two have been my best friends all my life. So I swiped the access control from single access to open access for both of them. If the Laos had any complaints, like they would ever notice, we could remove them again. Until then, I wouldn't have to do anything if they wanted to visit. Neither would Dad. When I quit out of the app, I couldn't help but notice it was right next to Dad's finance app. It was really wrong what I thought about doing. I carried the tablet to the edge of the living area. I could see the back of Dad's head bobbing around among the greenery. Moving fast, I opened the finance app. It was already showing transactions. At the very top was a purchase. Last night's dinner at the roadhouse. Below that, a purchase at a Met Cafe. And then the grocery delivery. I scrolled until I saw a big number. It wasn't huge. Not for a Mecca price. The date looked about right. A few days before my birthday. And it was a money transfer. The receiving account was just a number. No other details. I scrolled back up to the top and quit the app. I was almost afraid to look up. I felt like I had taken too long. But Dad hadn't moved. I put the tablet back and headed outside. Worried about what little I had to tell Enu on Monday. Azalee and Koda were standing in the street, their canopies up, leaning on the front of their consoles, chatting. Koda's white novelite was almost hard to look at in the sun. It was taller than Azalea's yogi mech. She still had her red, blue, and yellow arm ribbons attached, and they were twisting and fluttering in the light breeze. Hey, happy birthday, called Azalea. It made me grin and roll my eyes at the same time. And the same from me. Has your neighbor's pedigree pig been digging in your oxylon? said Koda. Nah, an ultra-heavy drone, I said. Who am I co-piloting with? No one. You're piloting your own mecha, said Azalea. Don't make me do that. Not for my birthday. If it needs calibrating, it's the only way. You need to keep at it. And how did a drone do that to your yard? I knocked on the baby. It's not like I had a choice. As it carried me up to the cockpit, I told them about last night. It blew their minds. It came down right behind where you're standing. If you climb down, I bet you can still find pieces of it. You're so lucky, said Azalea. It could have hit your house. I think a big piece hit the yard just there, I said. Good morning, Pilot Praxist, said the baby as I sat down. Yeah, it is. Try not to ruin it, I replied. My friends let me lead the way out of the street. Want more Features Mecca? And want it sooner? Visit patreon.com slash Features Mecca.